Thanks, Nick. We're going to be opening our Bibles this morning uh, to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're going to be looking at that encounter between uh, Pontius Pilate and Jesus Christ as he's on trial. It's not Easter. I know that we're not uh, at Easter, but because, as Nick explained uh, just at the beginning of the service, this Sunday is called Christ the King Sunday because it's the end of the church calendar year is this Sunday because next Sunday is the beginning of Advent, which means what? How many weeks till Christmas? Four weeks till Christmas. The countdown begins and uh, it means that we're all urgently rushing around like headless chickens trying to get all the things ready for Christmas. Uh, But the last thing that the church wants to remind us of in the church calendar year is that Christ is the King. Christ is the King. Before we begin a brand new year, looking forward to his first coming, we are to remember that Jesus is the King. So I'm going to read from verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Father, that as we come to your word, you would help us to see the world as it really is. That Jesus Christ truly is the King. And that we can trust in this king with our very lives. May we hear the truth. As Pilate asked, what is the truth? May you, Lord, show us the truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Happy New Year, everyone. (laughs) Happy New Year. It is worth us just stopping for a moment and acknowledging that Christ is the king, not just of our lives as Christians, but he is the king of the whole world. And that right now, he sits in heaven, ruling all creation 
on behalf of his father right now. That nothing in this universe can outpower Jesus or do something that is out of Jesus' control or that can usurp him or take over from him or catch him by surprise. That all things are in his hands. And that he has around him, surrounded in the throne room of heaven, he has a hundred million angels ready to do his bidding. It is so easy for us Christians and all the people in this world to forget that and live as if that is not true. It's easy to see in the world we live in that there is hierarchy of power and authority, isn't there? Even in our day-to-day lives, there are people above us that uh, can have authority over us, and maybe in our own lives we have some kind of authority over others. We can see that even uh, in... It's true of every living being in the world, really, isn't it? Even if if you're into uh, um, nature and biology and ecology, you can see that even in the animal kingdom there's sorts of hierarchies of being. Even the ants have a structure to their world, don't they? Or bees have a queen bee and, uh, who rules the nest. Uh, and then even in, amongst species, you have a sort of food hierarchy, don't you? The food chain where you have some animals above others and you can see that there's a hierarchy to the world that we live in. And of course, we know that the lion is king of the jungle, don't we? But then you can see our place in that. That we have some kind of authority over this world, don't we? The Bible tells that, us that. That God made the human beings to have authority in this world. To rule it in some ways and to take care of it. And you can see that we do. Or do it badly sometimes. But then we forget that the hierarchy doesn't stop there. It doesn't just go amoeba, ant, cat, elephant, human, and stop there. It doesn't just stop there. It goes higher to angels and principalities And finally, Christ the King, who sits above all things and reigns on behalf of his Father. We're very good at, in our mindset, stopping at us. I was fascinated by the whole uh, COP26, the climate conference that's only just finished, and we've all been watching that and hearing about that in the news. This idea that we're getting all the rulers, all the leaders, all the prime ministers and presidents and kings and queens, if you like, all together to solve the biggest problem we have, climate change. But almost there was hardly any recognition at all that there is higher powers even above the rulers of this age. Does that make sense? It was almost like it's down to us. We're the only ones left who can do anything about anything because only humans are left in charge. Do you you see what I'm saying? We can sometimes get into that place where we're it. We're it. And even Christians can get into that mindset. I want us to remember that today Christ is the king. 
and that we are not alone. We are not the ultimate authority, not all things in our hands, because that would actually be ultimately quite a depressing thought. The reason I think we get into that mindset is because not only do we live our individual lives most of the time as if we're the only ones in control, we tend to look at the world and say, well, if Jesus, you are the king, how come you don't show up a bit more? How come you don't actually solve some of these world problems that we have so much? How come you seem to have left us to our own devices so much of the time? And then people tend to think, well, if there is a king, he's not doing a very good job, this King Jesus, where is he? And so we begin to just start to erase him out of our own lives and public life and everything. Pilate did the same with Jesus. Pilate grew up in the Roman Empire, presumably, as a, a citizen of the Roman Empire, and then he grew up, he climbed the hierarchy, and he became a governor of a whole region of Israel and uh, Palestine and places. And the only authority above him was Caesar. And to Pilate, Caesar is almost like this, kind, as high as you get, he's a kind of sort of demigod. He is like the man and what he says goes and there's nothing really beyond that and so when he encounters Jesus the king he just cannot recognize that Jesus might actually have authority over him he sees it the other way around Jesus I have authority over you I will be the arbiter of truth in this situation in fact Pilate actually says that doesn't he he says what is truth to Jesus. Do you see that in verse 36? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. And then in verse 38, Pilate retorts, what is truth? What is truth? In other words, in Pilate's word, mind and world, the truth is whatever we Romans want to determine is the truth. We have power over you, Jesus, and we will determine the truth. You might claim something like you are a king, or someone else might say that you're a king, but ultimately you're only a king if we say you are a king, because we are the authority. We are the authority. In the Roman world, they have erased the idea of Christ the King. Um, have you ever heard of the term um, helicopter parenting? Helicopter parenting? All the older generations are shaking their head like this. That wasn't around in our day. That's true, it wasn't around in your day. In your day, you just left your children to get on with it. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Well, there is that truth to it, isn't it? Our children were allowed to be gone for the whole day and you didn't see them until you rang the bell for dinner or whatever, or they were left, uh, you gave them rules and disciplines, but essentially you left them to it or left us to it. Uh, in our generation, though, there's something called helicopter parenting. And a lot of us end up doing it, which is where we hover over our children watching them carefully at all moments, at all times, and if anything goes wrong in their life, we swoop down, 
correct the problem, solve the issue. Or if they are being naughty, we and we hike them out of the situation and put them somewhere else on a step. Helicopter parenting. Uh, we will find out whether that's good in a few years. <laughs> the next generation will soon find out whether it's been a complete disaster or not. Now, coming back to that point, we Christians in the world tend to think, well, if Jesus is king, how come he's not doing more helicopter parenting? Climate change, fix it. Uh, Anti-social behaviour, fix it. Uh, everything that I stubbed my toe in the morning and hurt myself, fix it, heal it. Do you see what I mean? Why, if Christ is this almighty king with all these healing powers and miracles that he can do, why doesn't he just helicopter parent us? Well, perhaps in this case, it's a bit more like this. And forgive me again for using an illustration from my family life. Um, sometimes when it's nearing bedtime in our family, we allow the children to have some playtime. And they might be downstairs just playing, and they get into a game, a game that they've invented. They build a den or something. And um, they're getting into it. They've got a make-believe world going on where Oscar's in charge and the other two do exactly what he says, or whatever it is, <laughs> playing uh, tea shops or whatever. And they've built this whole sort of world in our den. And Claire and I are like, this is fantastic. Why does it have to be dead bedtime soon? They're just getting on so well. We can just sort of have a peaceful time in the kitchen or whatever. And then we realise, well, it's getting quite late. And the mistake we always make is we go in there and say, right, that's it, bedtime, up you go. And immediately there's objections, there's fierce fighting and arguments and, uh, and sort of debate. We enter into a debate about the reason and logic of that and whether that's reasonable. And so we've come up with a better strategy, Claire and I. We give, um, we give a heads up. We go, okay, they're getting on really well. It's going fantastic. Uh, we're going to go and give them a 20-minute warning. And we'll go in there and we'll say, in 20 minutes' time, we're going upstairs, it's bedtime. And then we might go back in for a 10-minute warning. Then a five, then a four, three, two, <laughs> one-minute warning. Then a 10-second warning. We'll be back in 10 seconds. So that we have given them enough time that when we say, it's time for bed, they will say, Fantastic. I'm so ready. Thank you for parenting us so well. Uh, we will do exactly as you now say, and we'll be asleep in, within two to three minutes. And then I say, job well done, off you go. Jesus doesn't just come in at the end of the day and say, right, that's it. Time to sort it. He's given us a bit of time, a bit of warning. He's not just going to helicopter parent us at every single moment. He's going to leave us to it a bit, to live and make things work and follow him and try and solve some of our own problems and etc. But the problem that's happened, of course, is that we've been left to it to a certain extent and we have forgotten that Jesus is going to come. We've forgotten and we've sort of lived in our own little world of make-believe for so long that we forget 
that Jesus is one day going to come and say it's time. The kingdom of God is here. And so what he's done is he's given us the heads up. He's given us the heads up. And that's what he's doing in his first coming at Christmas. That's what he did. Do you see that? Verse 37. Let me just read that for you again. Or verse 36, rather. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest uh, by the Jewish leaders. But, not, but now my kingdom is from another place. Verse 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. And then Jesus says this, look, he says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He's come into the world early. He's giving us a warning. He says, I've come to try and explain to you the truth of the kingdom of God and what's coming. Something's coming. The kingdom of God is coming, but I'm coming early to witness to this kingdom, to get you on side, to prepare you so that you might make peace and submit to the king when he comes in all his glory. Do you see how that tied in very poorly to my illustration earlier? He wants to give us time and warnings and preparation. He's not just going to say, right, I'm coming in, you've got 20 minutes to sort yourselves out, then we're, we're calling it a day. He comes in to witness to what the kingdom of God is like that we might say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my king now so that when you come, I will be ready. Jesus' kingdom at that time, when he stood before Pilate, he could have gone to Pilate, I'm going to prove to you that I am the almighty king and there's going to be angels descending there's going to be lightning and thunder. There's going to be earthquakes and shaking. And I am going to put you in your place, Pilate. And I'm going to put all these people that are against me in their place. But he says that's not the way of the kingdom of God right now. Because if I do that, it's kind of you lot out and me and my kingdom in. But he says that's not the way of the kingdom of God right now. The way of the kingdom of God right now is I'm going to come in amongst your kingdoms, your make-believe world that you've rubbed me out of it. I'm going to come into that kingdom in your world and I'm going to witness to the truth of what God's kingdom is like. And I want to win people. I want people to bend the knee and submit and come into and make peace with this king, me while there's still time. The key word you see in verse 36, at the end of the final sentence of verse 36, the key word is, but now my kingdom is from another place. But now. There is a time that suggests to me that in the future, Jesus is saying, there will be a time, it's not now, but my kingdom will be of this place. Christ will return and bring in God's kingdom. But now... It's not of this world, but it will be one day. So Jesus wants to witness to the truth while there's time. Pilate really struggles with this. And he can't see this truth. He can't see that 
even if Pilate does conclude, yeah, Jesus, you're not really a bother to me. You can be a king of the Jews, fine, that's fine. You're not the king of the Romans, so you're not an authority over me. But whether you're, you're not really causing me a bother. So Pilate's just like, I don't really mind whether you're guilty, innocent, true, whatever. Um, but for his own expedience, this is incredible, for his own expedience, he does hand over Jesus to be crucified. Just to have an easier life, he just, he lets Jesus uh, be crucified. And he asks that great question, doesn't he? What is truth? What is truth? Isn't that the God of our age at the moment? That we have erased, like we said, any kind of authority above ourselves. And the only authority is left is us. And really the only authority left in that is me, what I deem to be true what I want to be right, what I want to be real and not real. That is the God of our age, isn't it? It's that idea that um, my truth is the only truth, really. We're not able to point out to one another anymore, maybe that's not the truth. You say, well, it's, your truth works for you, my truth works for me, but let's not interrupt one another on that, because if you do, you're stepping on toes and we can call foul and we can then start to uh, reject one another. My truth. And Pilate is a part of that, of course, because he is, uh, has that authority in his world where he is the only authority at that time. Okay. Jesus knows that he's not going to win this argument. He's not going to win this argument. So from here on in, he kind of just, he goes silent, Jesus. See, he could enter into a really good debate with Pilate at this point, couldn't he? And start proving certain things, but he doesn't. He lets Pilate's verdict stand. He lets Pilate have his way. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in these kinds of arguments with someone where you know, no matter how convincing you're going to be or clever you think you're going to be, you're not going to change someone's mind. You ever been in that? Normally, most people are thinking about that. Me. Tom, I've been talking to you for ages and ages. I know you're not going to change your mind, so I'm just going to not bother, because I'm as stubborn as everyone else. Jesus knows the way to win people is not going to be through defeating Pilate through argument. Nor is he going to change the Jewish people's minds nor the crowd's minds. He can't get us to be a part of his kingdom by force or by overpowering us with clever argument. No one here is part of the kingdom of God because Jesus forced you to or overwhelmed you with his powerful debate. How does he, how does, he says here, I've come into the world to show the world the truth. How is he going to do that? And it's in these last two verses that we read. When Pilate says, verse 39. Well, let's go from verse, halfway through verse 38. Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. 
Barabbas, Barabbas the murderer, Barabbas the criminal, Barabbas the rebel. Give us him. And Jesus says, okay, okay. I will go to the cross and you can set Barabbas free. That's the way I'm going to show you who I am. That's okay. In fact, that is what I've come to do. I've come to the go to the cross that criminals will go free, that murderers will go free, that liars and cheats and the proud and the nasty and the cruel people will go free. And if I do that for you, will you see who I am? Will you see the truth? Will you see that I am who I say I am? I've told you all along that I am a king, but now do you see that I am the king of heaven? When I lay my life down for you, that I am the good shepherd, the servant king, the almighty God who wields power over all things and yet surrenders himself for you. That's how he's going to show the world the truth. I often try to put myself in Barabbas's shoes. At the end of the day, Barabbas, right, how would he feel? Well, first of all, he probably can't believe his luck. <laughs> what? I'm literally in chains, guilty. Everyone knows it. Suddenly the chains are off, I'm free. And off he goes, and he's probably high-fiving his friends. Way, brilliant, fantastic. And then maybe later that day, though, he sees Jesus taking his place. And he realizes what would have happened to him. And he's like, oh my goodness. And he knows, he knows Jesus is innocent. He knows, maybe they'd even met each other previously. Maybe Jesus had visited him in prison or done something nice for him, whatever. And he knows Jesus is just this fantastic guy. And he sees Jesus die that way. And so he's torn in his heart, isn't he? He's like, oh my goodness, I'm free. Elated. And yet broken. Elated and yet broken. That's what it is to be a Christian. That is what it is to experience Jesus the King showing you the truth of who he is. Elated that I, the guilty, should be set free with all the rubbish I have done, all the ignoring God and all that stuff. I did that. Yet he has totally set me free. And yet I'm heartbroken because my saviour went to hell for me. And so I choose this morning to be part of his kingdom. Not because he sent an army to conquer me. Not because he commands my allegiance because he's the king. Because he showed me the truth. And the truth has set me free.
So this morning, let us remember that Jesus is the King. Let's remember that there is an authority above the pilots of this world, above the governments of this world. It is Christ the King. But he's not going to force his way into our lives. But there will be a time when he calls an end to it. There will be a time when he comes downstairs and says, children, it's time. It's time to go upstairs. It's time for my kingdom. It's time for your imaginary world to end. And will we say, will we cry foul? Will we be outraged? Or will we be yes? Yes. Yes, Jesus. It's time to go with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ is King and no other. That is good news, Father, because if anyone else was King, it would be a disaster. But sat at your right hand, Father, is one who you consider worthy, for he died for the sins of the whole world. And so you can trust him with all the power in the world. And may we, as we come around his table this morning, may we bow the knee, may we receive his life and join his kingdom and be both at the same time elated but broken, broken by his love. In Jesus' name we pray.